This morning, we're going to be continuing on in our series in Hebrews uh, entitled uh, Draw Near. Uh, and again, that whole aspect, draw near, is a theme that repeats itself throughout Hebrews a number of times. Uh, and we'll be looking at it today, heading into chapter 3. Uh, last week, we were taking a look at Jesus being the source of salvation, that he was made complete through death on the cross. Uh, and then just kind of that oddness of Jesus being made complete, but rather being completed as Savior. That to be Savior, to be the Messiah, had to go through that sacrificial death uh, and was focused on that Greek word teleos, which means its fullness, uh, the completeness, it is finished. I was actually having a conversation uh, with somebody afterwards, and uh, they brought up the words that Jesus said at the, uh, on the cross where he was about to die, and he's like, it is finished. Uh, it's that same Greek word, teleos. It is complete. It is fulfilled. Uh, and so it's just kind of an interesting connection uh, with that. But today, uh, again, we're going to be heading in, taking a look at Jesus being the answer, uh, being the Messiah, being God, uh, which is much of the theme of Hebrews as well. It's a book written to those of a Jewish culture uh, who've been waiting for the Messiah. Jesus came and revealed himself as such, and uh, this is meant to kind of reveal that further to them. So uh, we'll head into chapter 3, verse 1, but before we do so, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we uh, come before you today as we head into your word. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would make it alive and active to us, uh, that we would recognize uh, your lordship in our lives, uh, that we would submit to that lordship in our lives, and that you would guide us and direct us uh, and the steps that you have for us to walk, uh, correcting us when needed, and challenging us uh, not to be complacent in this world, uh, but to live in the true calling that you've given to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we go in here, uh, verse 1 starts off by saying, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus... I just want to pause there again because I, so much of this, like we can kind of read through that and, and kind of be like, oh, well, he's writing to people then. And again, the scripture is beneficial for teaching, reproving. It's, it, all scripture is beneficial. And so is for us as well today. How often do you consider yourself a holy brother or sister that shares in heavenly calling? Like, this is his statement. He's like writing to us as holy brothers and sisters with a heavenly calling. Continues, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now, every house is built by someone. But the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold on to confidence and the hope in which we boast. And so again, just as we go into this, I want to look at the comparison of Jesus to Moses. Again, this was written to those primarily of a Jewish culture, uh, which would have had a, a deep tradition and trust in Moses. 
In fact, how many times as Jesus is walking the earth and he's talking with the Pharisees and they're always referring back to Moses, they're referring back to Abraham. It was such an anchor in their faith that they continued to, to lean on. He was a massive part of their history, led them out of captivity, began the covenant relationship um, within the Ten Commandments, uh, furthering what happened with Abraham, uh, led them out of Egypt to the Promised Land. So, so all of this was happening and what the nation of Israel was expecting was for the Messiah, who was Jesus Christ, but they weren't acknowledging that at that time. They were expecting the Messiah to be a second type of Moses to do similar things, to, to lead them out of captivity, to lead them to a promised land, to restore the nation of Israel to its rightly part as part of a nation's power. But in doing so, they missed the true intention of verses such as Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 15. It says, I am the Lord, the Holy One, the creator of Israel, your king. This is what the Lord says, who makes a way in the sea and a path through raging water, who brings out the chariot and horse, the army and the mighty one together. They lie down, they do not rise again, they are extinguished, put out like a wick. I just want to pause there right now. What do you think those verses are referring to? Brings out the chariot and the horse, the army and the mighty one together. They lie down, they don't rise again. They're extinguished and put out like a wick. The Red Sea, absolutely. So, so again, here's this connection with, with Moses leading them out of Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. The chariot and the horse and Pharaoh, the mighty one, are all together chasing after the nation of Israel. And then they go and they lie down, they, they die. They're put out like a wick as they head into the Red Sea. It's absolutely what this is referring to. This is what God is saying. I'm the one that causes this happens, a path through raging water, a way through the sea. But then he continues on in verse 18. Do not remember the past offense. Pay no attention to things of old. Look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And so it was this prophecy that was speaking to the nation of Israel who was continually looking back to say, well, this is what he did with Moses. This is how he rescued us out of Egypt. This is what he did. This is what he did. He's going to do something the same. And what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah here is, look, I'm going to do something new. Do not remember the past events. Pay attention to the things, or do not pay attention to the things. In other words, it's not going to be the same as the Red Sea. It's not going to be the same as their expectations based on what has happened in the past. And it was meant to show that God moves in new ways. In fact, Jesus himself, as he was teaching, had a parable about wine in a wineskin. He's like, you don't put new wine into an old wineskin because it bursts. But rather, you need a new wineskin. He was talking about the, the fact that he was coming to establish something new and something different in a personal relationship with God that was very different from the Old Testament and the traditions of the past. Yet despite these teachings, despite these prophecies, the Jewish nation continued to look for a Moses type. That's why Hebrews is continuing to bring out the difference to address the Jewish culture, but then show how it has improved and how it has changed and transformed and actually was just something foreshadowing of something even better. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. We already read it, but here again it says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. Again, this verse is pointing out to the fact that Moses was faithful, but Moses was a testimony towards Jesus. He was faithful foreshadowed Christ even to the lifting up of the bronze snake that was referred to Jesus being lifted up uh, on the cross. But it was said that he was faithful in God's household. And then the distinction is made when it comes to Christ that he was faithful as a son over the household. There's a difference there that's being stated. Moses is in the household where Jesus is over the household. Complete difference in that of authority, responsibility, uh, as well uh, as glory and honor in that. In fact, when he points out in verse 3 here, it says, Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, which would have been kind of like a a shock to people uh, of a Jewish tradition that are like trying to hold on to that. That Jesus is of more glory just as the builder has more honor than the house. Uh, every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. And so there's this aspect here, again, where in this passage, it's showing that Jesus is God, that all things spoken into existence were by Jesus Christ. And, and so in that, even though Jesus came and as he lived and died, which much of the, the time and culture would have considered that to be a failure, proof that he wasn't the Messiah, They're pointing to the fact that this accomplishment, because he's God, because this caused a a reconciliation with mankind, is so much more honor than Moses, and even because he built everything. I I think it's something that our culture, like we get it when we see it in this passage, but I think it's something that we kind of lose um, because of self-focus. And I bring that up because like, we're in a pretty beautiful building. I was just even looking at some of the pictures on the wall um, before I came in here, and uh, just the pictures of Janesville in like the late 1800s. And so this thing has been standing for like 130, 140 years, and the woodwork that we see like above us here, and, and it being hand-carved, there, there was like no laser lathes or anything else happening, um, Chris, could you, could you do this carving like these? No, okay. Right. Who does that anymore? Right? And it's gorgeous and, and, and it's beautiful and yet our culture gets it backwards sometimes because what this passage is saying is that the one that builds the house, the one that builds the building has more glory, has more honor than the building itself, and yet we'll sit here and we look at this and we're like, wow, what a beautiful building. So, so amazing, and, and yet I have no idea whose sweat and work went into carving this or, or what architect designed it. And again, the whole point being is that mankind, men and women, are made in the image of Jesus Christ and and so inherently have more glory and honor than than the building to begin with. And and yet, we sit here and we look at this and say, how amazing. And we bring 
glory, in a sense, to what was created and, and not so much to who created it and, and how it even happened. Like, like even the fact of, of, of the beauty that's up here is just a reflection. Mankind's ability to carve something like this that stands for 140 years is just a mere reflection of God's creation and his ability as a builder. That's all mankind is ever reflecting. And so it all goes back to that. And sometimes I think that we, we miss out on that aspect of, of honoring God, of worshiping him when we see beautiful buildings because we're like, well, that's really cool. And, and yet it's all a representation of Jesus who spoke all things into existence, the, the builder of the building, the builder of this world that we live in. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to bring out here. Not only is Jesus Christ the Messiah, but he's the ultimate builder that spoke all things into existence. That, that everything that we see is a reflection of, of his nature, a reflection of his power, a reflection of his ability. And sometimes mankind really distorts that. But it's all a reflection of that of what he's done for us and the fact that he chooses then to build us into a house. Each part of us brought together. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it this way. You're no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. And so this passage again is talking about the inclusion of Gentiles into the Jews and coming together, being one new person through Christ within the context of Ephesians chapter 2. But what's saying is that as that happens, each one of us as members of God's household, as holy sons and daughters, are being built into the church built into the ecclesia, the, the gathering of believers, this temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell in and then work out of. That we're each meant to have a part and a place in this as Jesus Christ also being this chief cornerstone. And so no longer is it just this thing where Moses is kind of having some authority and being a steward within the household. But Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, makes us part of his household, makes us an integral part of his design in order to represent him on earth today. In order to do this, we need to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 points it out. He says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Again, it's tied to this confession of faith in Jesus Christ, this acknowledgement of him as our Lord, the profession of our trust in the Messiah. And then we're considered to be these holy brothers and sisters with a heavenly calling. This calls us to live a different life laid out in 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the words that you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, 
as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, as you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Again, it's this example of us being chosen, of us being welcomed into the household of God, to be, to be used with his intent, to be built up into a spiritual house, for each one of us to be part of a holy priesthood in order to live this way. We talked a lot about this as we went through uh, our series entitled The Bride in, in Ephesians and what it meant to be a church, what it meant to be a son or daughter that were considered to be an integral part of a royal priesthood, sons and daughters, ambassadors, living stones, friends, and the bride of Christ. This is that new identity that's been given to us through his life, death, and resurrection. And it's not something that's supposed to be compartmentalized within our lives, but rather the foundation of a brand new existence. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already reached the goal, I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of Christ Jesus. I think this mentality is one that we should all strive to maintain. It's this aspect of, again, we talked about last week and the week before about mankind's uh, proclivity to either have arrogance and pride and trying to control things, or on the other side, we think too little of ourselves. We're always putting down the image bearers that we are and, and are being passive in our life. We fall to those two errors, and I think this statement here is what Paul is saying is, is where our idea should be. Not that we've already reached the goal or that we're already perfect. We're already teleos. We're already complete. We're, we're not there. We're all in process of the Holy Spirit working on us. But So recognize that we're in process, but we make every effort to take hold of it, to take hold of that sense of completion because I've also been taken hold of by Christ. So it's this recognition of we're works in progress, yet the mindset that we're to have is that this work is completed by Christ and to live out this identity that we're in process of going towards. It's one of these things that happens throughout Scripture where it's both not yet but already is. Ephesians talks about us being seated in heavenly realms right now and, and yet my foot hurts for some reason, <laughs> Right? Both yet and, and uh, not now. And so here's this aspect, this mindset that we have. So again, verse 13, he continues on. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. I, I love that last sentence there. If you think differently, God will reveal this to you. So in other words, the, the mature aspect of a Christian is to live out this life recognizing that we're not perfect yet. It's in progress, but we are to live with the intent and, and representation of of the fullness of what Christ has done for us. That we are his beloved son and daughters. That we are without sin, not because of our actions, but because of what Jesus Christ has done, and it's covered by the blood of Christ. 
Not as a permission to continue to do so, but rather this recognition of because Jesus has done this, I am going to live my life accordingly as a redeemed son or daughter, as a prince or princess in God's kingdom. That then becomes our goal. And then what he says is to forget what is behind and reach forward to what is ahead. Very similar to that passage in Isaiah. Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. But what is God doing now? What is he calling you forward to within this new identity? For the nation of Israel, they're holding on to Moses and to traditions of the past. The question for us this morning is, what is our motive, Moses? What is the thing that we hold on to, that we trust as an anchor or a foundation of our lives? It can be a number of different things. It can be um, traditions of our past. Maybe it's religious traditions that we grew up with that have just become more empty routine than a vibrant living relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what happened with the Israelites. It all became motions. They had the whole oral law that they added on top of the written code. And there were so many different things that they had to do in order to maintain relationship with God when simply what Jesus was saying is that is now broken and it's meant to be this intimate, close friendship, sonship, daughtership, heavenly father relationship together. The things that we hold on to uh, and trust in could be family, money, routines, comfort, or any number of things that, well, the decisions that we make in our life are based out of that instead of the foundation of Jesus Christ. Another passage that we'll get to within Hebrews uh, is it talks about this foundation of Jesus Christ as Messiah, and then we're able to build on top of that with a number of various things. Now, as we go through life and life is shaken, those things are then revealed if it's imperfect things, if it's straw and stubble and hay, those will either be burned up or blown away. But if we build our life with this intentionality, with doing something different in our personal lives and our new identity that is represented as gold and silver and precious stones, that are able to weather whatever storm of life may come, whatever happens within our society, if, if we build according to that, we're then able to trust in Jesus Christ and to move forward. Forgetting the former things, not dwelling on them, but seeing where he is moving here and now. We're to examine our lives to see where we might be complacent. Examine where we might just be leaning upon pragmatism uh, or old habits. Um, even in old directions from God. Again, for the nation of Israel, God's direction was leave Egypt, walk through the Red Sea, do this. And God blessed them as they were faithful within that. But then he was saying, don't dwell on that. Be present. What is he calling you to do now? That's a question that we all need to look within our lives and to examine. There's a, an illustration uh, used by a writer named, um, I forget his first name, but his last name is Blackaby. Uh, and he wrote a book called Experiencing God. Uh, and this illustration is always like really, really stuck in my mind. Uh, he talks about a surfer. And a surfer sitting in the water. And they're sitting on their board, kind of enjoying the sun and the waves and, and hoping not to see that single fin, like, circling around. Um, but they're sitting out there, and, and they want to surf. And, and so what does the surfer do? 
They don't sit there and, and point their board to the beach and start paddling as hard as they can just to try and get up enough speed so that they can hop up on the board and, and then slowly, like, what would happen on a Wisconsin lake? You know, not talking about Michigan because Lake Michigan, there's some crazy surfers in Sheboygan, um, but a typical lake, there's no way you could pedal fast enough in order to hop on the board and, and then continue. But instead what a surfer does is, is they sit there and they wait until they feel the waves start to swell. And as the wave starts to swell behind them, they try and paddle in order to kind of keep up with that wave, to, to match what that wave is doing. If they wait too long, they can't catch up. And if they start too soon, they're going to tire out. Again, trying to do it within their own strength or their own sense of timing doesn't work. But if they can match what that wave is doing, if they can capture onto that and begin paddling, the wave then provides the power and the propulsion, and it pushes the board forward. And then what the surfer does is as the wave takes over, they just try and keep that balance with what that wave is already doing. Then the wave provides the power, and they're able to, to ride with that. So what Blackaby is saying is our sense of following after God is much like that. That we need to be praying and seeking and searching. Like, what is God doing? What, what is swelling? What is the movement in, of God within your life, within our community? What is he doing? And, and can we paddle alongside that? Not trusting our own strength, our own ability, our own timing, but rather what God is doing. We begin to paddle with that and trust that the power is going to completely come from the wave, going to completely come from God. And then there isn't this huge effort, but rather just this sense of seeking balance in God as he does what he does. And so again, the question comes, we can become so distracted by where we become complacent in our life. We make decisions out of pragmatism instead of seeking where is God moving out of habits, out of trust within structures or systems that we have in place within our life. Or perhaps even old directions from God that we've continued on and he's been directing us. There's something new happening. There's this new wave. I think that's what this passage in Hebrews is talking about. It was written to the Hebrews showing them that there is this new relationship with God that they never could have dreamed of. And calling them to pay attention to that and walk into it and draw closer to Christ. And I think the same thing is God is calling us, each one of us, that there's things in our lives that we lean on in the past, that he's calling us to forget the former things, forget leaning on these things, to examine where might he be moving in our lives, and to move in trusting in that and see where he takes us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for your work in our lives. That because you are our Lord and Savior, our brother and friend and father, um, you care about us deeply. And you walk with us. And your Holy Spirit moves with us. And so, Lord, I pray by your leading and guidance and direction, would you help us um, just to know where you are moving as a church and as individuals that we can follow that and trust that you will do the work because we cannot. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.